I'm going to turn to John chapter 4. If you want to turn or light it, your iPad or your phone or whatever. I'm going to read basically one verse of scripture. I want to talk to us about a major need. Not just for us, but this world, but I want to make it personal for us. When Jesus <clears throat> was here, there was a group of people called Samaritans that would have nothing to do with Jewish people. Their culture was so different. And uh, Jesus thirsted one day, and he passed through Samaria. And there was a lady that had a sordid past. And for one thing, for Jesus to say, which women drew water back those days, for Jesus to walk up to that lady and say, give me water out of this well, just to approach a Samaritan lady, much less with her past reputation, to ask that was a major issue. But Jesus is far more interested in our culture, and he's far more interested in our sordid past. He's interested in our eternity. How many of you are glad about that? So he walked up to this well, and he said, give me to drink. And I just want to pick up here, actually, the latter part of verse 13 in John 4. He says this, whoever drinks of the water, of this water, will thirst again, verse 14. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become to him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. He went to the very heart of the matter about what his purpose was here. I do not want anyone in this room to be religious. I want you to have a relationship with God. I don't want you to know about God. I want you to know God. There's a big difference. In 2019, we need to learn something across this world again, and that is this. Our Creator, God, has built into every human heart a thirst and a longing for Himself. D.L. Moody said, There is in every man and woman a God-shaped vacuum, and only God can fill that vacuum. I wholeheartedly agree. But here's our issue. We don't want what God wants for us today. We are trying to substitute that thirst and that hunger inside of us with everything except God. You know why? We don't want God to lead us. We want to be gods unto ourselves. Our world is like that, is it not? Is it not? I'll do what I want to do any way I want to, anyhow I want to. It's my life. I can do anything. And you're right about one thing. It's your life. You can do anything you want to with it, but it doesn't mean that you don't have responsibility about how you live it, and you'll give an account to your Creator when it's finished. So the good news is that you have a choice. And James, you go to this, James over in the New Testament, and he said, this life is but a vapor about 70 years, ladies and gentlemen. We have a, we're on the stage for some 70 years in this particular generation, and that's our time to choose. And after that, the judgment. When you get into reincarnation, it's just people that decided that they know more than God, or here's the real thing. I want to live like I want to, do what I want to, and if I blow it, then I can come back as a frog or a gnat or a flea or a skunk, which I don't have much use for any of those. But they can come back that way and make a better choice as a frog than they can a human being. It's just the concept that if I blow it this time, I get another chance. I just want to tell you something. If you come back anything less than a human, you may not have the mental capacity to make a decision. 
How many of you know I just tried to be funny and you missed it? But it was true. Each of us in this room are here for a different reason. Reasons vary. Some are here out of dedication, and I thank God for that. Some are here out of loyalty, and that's a, almost a lost attribute today. Some are here out of relationship, and I trust you enjoy the relationships here at our church because I work on it hard. Some are even here perhaps in desperation. As a last resort, there's some big changes going on in your life, and you need them. And this is the place for it to happen. Say amen. However, let me say this. One thing in common we all have, and that is this. Whether we're male or female, young or old, we all need an inner nurturing in our spirit from our God. All of us need time. Did you hear me? Time in the presence of an omnipotent God who knows us better than we know ourselves. And I want to say again, the human heart for all time through centuries is the same. We have a thirst and a hunger for God. So let me rehearse it just a minute. Let's go back into Deuteronomy, first five books, the Pentateuch of the Scripture, where Israel has disobeyed God and they are in Egyptian bondage. For four centuries, 400 years. I'm not going to go to Deuteronomy and read. I'm just taking you back here because I saw some of you start to turn. In Deuteronomy, Israel for 400 years is in Egyptian bondage. They got there because they forgot God and left Him. And for 400 years in that captivity, for 400 years they cried out. And God finally sent to them Moses. I love this part of the story because I always want to know the human element in it. We just read past this and it just sounds like history, but it, just go to the human side. I hope you know the scripture enough to know that Moses was actually raised in Pharaoh's court. He was a Jewish boy. Their edict was to kill all the young babies, boys after t under two. And Pharaoh's daughter found Ma uh, Moses in a little, uh, what do you call it, basket floating down the Nile. His mother put it there to help him. And Moses was raised in Pharaoh's court. He basically, if we could describe him, was, was a spoiled, rotten brat in Pharaoh's court. But he was a Jewish. He was Israeli. Got upgrown. Anyway, the story comes to this point. After all these 400 years, and Moses got in trouble, went on the backside of the desert, and God decided there's news. I love it. In the newspaper, down that sifts through the Egyptian news, down through the slaves, the Israelites, all in their camps, Good news, the God of the Israelites has spoken. He said, I have seen your pain, I have seen your need, and I am come down. Can you imagine when that news got to the slaves of Israel, how wonderful that news was? Four centuries and God's finally coming. How many of you like to know God's going to take care of business? How many of you like to tell God how to do business? How many of you like to get God to wear your watch? Here's what he said. God said, come here, Moses. I'm going to use you. And Moses, he didn't agree with it either. And he said, well, I can't do this, and I can't do this, and I can't do that. Young people hear me. Satan's always full of what you can't do. What you ought to do is give God first chance and see what you can do. Come on, parents, say amen. amen. My Lord. 
So here, here's it's what's amazing. He, we, God said, come here, Moses. I'm going to send you. So Moses goes and he says, you've heard the news. God has spoken. He's seen your burden. He's going to do something about it. And he sent me and they're going, wait a minute. We've seen what this guy can do. We know all about him. He's a spoiled rotten out of Pharaoh's court. And he's going to deliver. God, we want you to do this like we want you to do it. We don't want you to do this like you want to do it. <laughs> I think that's kind of funny. You know why? Because every one of us that know anything about serving God have tried to get God to do things our way. We want to do it ourselves. It's a miraculous story. God sent plagues. God sent a cloud to protect Israel during the daytime so the Egyptians couldn't catch them while they fleed out of Egypt. They... God sent a fire by night to protect them, to lead them and keep the Egyptian army away. When they got to the Red Sea, God parted the Red Sea. Ladies and gentlemen, there's no, there's no story anywhere any, any above that story in human history. And in every movie, you see it. Thank God we have some. But here's something I want you to know. When they got on the far side of the Red Sea, Israel stopped because they had walked on dry ground. Don't forget there's two to two and a half million of these people. Can you imagine how wide a breast and how long it took with the scriptures and history says the wall stood up over a hundred feet tall. It congealed like as if it were in ice. They walked over Red Sea on dry ground, got over there, and then God caused it to collapse in on the Egyptian army. That was miraculous. And here a few years ago, they finally found through historical people and discovered they know exactly where Israel crossed the Red Sea. It was true. They did cross there. And they have found, and we saw pictures, I showed it here on video, where they have gone under the Red Sea with cameras. We saw broken down chariots of Israel, their metal wheels and all kinds of that. It's still there to this day. So go ahead and doubt and say, well, it's just history all you want. But you need to become a deep sea diver and get the truth. Amen. Anyway, it's pretty interesting. But they sang a song. They had a ceremony to worship God. And let me tell you, when you've been through a problem that you can't handle and God has seen miraculous things, you'll have a song in your heart too. And they did a song. But then in a few days, the singing turned to murmuring. They were thirsty, and they had no food. So they're delivered, and they're in ceremony, and God began to help them. So I want to speak on the topic this morning, thirsty in the midst of ceremony. Thirsty in the midst of ceremony. They were thirsty, ladies and gentlemen, when they became thirsty in the wilderness, out of Egypt, God did a miraculous thing. Moses struck the rock. I just want to make sure you understand that when he struck that rock, it, this wasn't a little stream of water. This wasn't for 10 people. It wasn't for 10,000 people. It was for two and a half million people out of the desert. That was a major miracle. They had no food. God rained manna out of heaven, took care of their need. So God knows how to take care of our problems. Years passed. 
God instructed Israel, I want you to set ceremonies recalling those times because I want you to remember, I want the next generations to remember that I do miracles. And each year, Israel celebrated this miracle. It was a party, if you will, saying, here's what God has done. And let me say, America, the reason that we are blessed in 2019 and have what we have is because our ancestors also built a nation on Judeo-Christian values that says many things, but it's built on the Ten Commandments, and we're getting away from it, and we're going to wind up in Egypt if we're not careful. God says, I want you to remember who's in charge of this planet. I want you to remember, if you're obedient to me, I bless you. But if you're disobedient, you bring judgment upon yourself. And let me say something. If you do, I could go all the way to Genesis 3 when Cain was spoken to by God. And he said, if you desire to do good, is it not the right thing that I will bless? But if you desire to do wrong, Satan is waiting to devour you. So when you're tempted to do wrong, when you're tempted to go against God, understand this, you're sowing into your life things that Satan can use to destroy you. And it may not happen overnight, but I want to tell you it happens. Say amen. So God said, I want you to celebrate the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles. The Jewish Feast of Tabernacles took time at the close of harvest. And it was to celebrate, not only during the summer did God give them great blessing and meals and things to have to eat. He not only supplied everything they had, he wanted them to celebrate the fact that he had provided for them. So every year in Jerusalem, Israel was to come by the thousands and the hundreds of thousands, in the millions. And in Israel, this was their annual convention. This was their General Council. The landscape around Israel is dotted all over the place with tent after tent, little hut after hut after hut. It was Israel's time to remember. God said, come, camp out in your tent, if you will, to remember to worship God. You don't live in tents anymore. You live in houses you didn't build. You've got crops you didn't sow. I have blessed you beyond measure. You are no longer slaves. You are absolutely blessed people. But I want you to come and live in a tent for a day or two. Actually eight days. I want you to remember it is God who brought you from slavery into blessing. America, you better remember in 2019. It is God who brought you from slavery to blessing. It is God who brought you from lost to found. So for seven days, the celebration was on. Music, dancing, all kinds of celebration. But watch this. On the eighth day of the celebration, the high priest of the nation of Israel would make his way to a place called the Pool of Siloam. The priest was accompanied by thousands of of waving branches by hundreds upon hundreds of musicians and hundreds and hundreds of singers. This was big time celebration. This was Israel's time to remember about God. The priest would carry a golden pitcher. It would hold about two pints. He would go and fill that vessel with water from the pool of Siloam. And then the people would break out in song. 
because they realized that they were worshiping God for what he had done for them. Isaiah recorded it. It's in chapter 12. I want to read it. And in that day you will sing, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. I want to say that again to somebody this morning. I will trust and not be afraid. I will trust and not be afraid. The first time when every time Satan attacks us, the first thing Satan wants to do is make us afraid. Behold, God is my salvation. He said, he will comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah the Lord is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy. With what? With joy. Ladies and gentlemen, there should be joy in this house. Ladies and gentlemen, there should be joy in this house. Amen. This ought to be a fun place to be. This ought to be a joy. With joy will I draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day you will say, make mention that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One in Israel in your midst. I want to tell you something. The reason we have worship here is so there can be joy here and we can prepare, ladies and gentlemen, an atmosphere where God can do a work among us. That is the assignment and the task of every musician and singer. It's also the task of every worshiper to enter in. The scripture says, clap your hands, raise holy hands, sing out in a voice. I'm going to hurt us all right here, and I know we're on Facebook all over the world, but watch this. The scripture nowhere comes and says, enter my courts and stand here. And look like you've lost your last friend. But pastor, I have troubles. Bring them to the place where you can get water and never thirst again. Wow. I've had people say, preacher, I've had a tough time. I hope you can pump me up and get through me, me through another week. Can I tell you something? That is not my job. It is your job to drink and get full of the Lord. And then come bubble over here so somebody else is thirsty can see you got full and you have a witness. This celebration was to go on for seven days. Then the high priest would pour this water. But here's something else. The priest, after, after he got the water, he would head toward the altar. I just want to tell you something. Very little quality in life is ever done until there's sacrifice. We've heard all through the scripture you need to die to yourself and I'm about to preach a message I've been planning on for several weeks. I'm, I, I just have to stop. But I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, in Christianity, you have to decide against yourself. And I'll be preaching about that in a few weeks. Here it is. The priest has this water. It, this is the march. A select multitude, while this priest is en route from the pool of Siloam to the altar. 
There was a select multitude of people who would march around that altar seven times. They, it was remembering of the seven times around Jericho where God caused the walls to fall flat into the ground and God did another miracle for Israel to get them to the promised land. So imagine all this going on. Then the priest would ascend up a side step by the altar and the priest would pour that water as an offering to God. And this was the declaration. Here's what the people would do. They would declare Psalm 113. I'm going to be re reading verse 1. Listen to their declaration when the priest poured out the offering. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Bless the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. Henry the name, the resurrection, good song. The Lord is high above all nations. Ladies and gentlemen, respond to that. The Lord is high above all nations. We need to know that. His glory is above all the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high? And it continues. They would sing that song and they would celebrate to God. This ceremony, again, was thanksgiving for God for the gift of water to their ancestors who were obedient and they followed God. And it was for God giving them the water and for food and for sustaining them in the worst times of their life. So such was the sitting when God, or when John, excuse me, God spoke to John and wrote the text I read. That he said, if you drink from this water, you'll thirst again. But if you drink of me, I will give you water that is everlasting. So here's the message. That's all introduction. Point one is the new covenant ceremony. When it came to the New Testament and John recorded it, it changed history. Have you ever noticed something about Jesus? Everything he did changed history. I want you to imagine the drama. I, I've, I remember years ago when I was in a little town called De Queen, Arkansas. It was my first pastorate. And uh, I was on the Ministerial Alliance. And we were going to have a uh, citywide Thanksgiving service, which I love in small towns to do that kind of stuff. I, I was on the Ministerial Alliance. I loved it. And so they asked me to speak, and so they said, why don't you design the service because you're going to be the speaker. And uh, I was ever a bit of 26 years old, and I'm going to be the speaker, and the whole city is going to be there. And I mean, it was in the large Baptist church at that time, the largest sanctuary. And so I planned the service, and we came back to another meeting, and I said, okay, you asked me to plan this is a suggestion. I don't have any sacred cows here. You can change it. And I went through this, and we'll do this, we'll do that, and then I got it all planned out. And one minister, I'll just tell you, happened to be the Methodist minister. He said, wow, Brooks, you're a real high church, aren't you? And I took it as a compliment. Let me tell you something. There's nothing wrong with high church if the Spirit of God is there. But let me tell you something. We ought to do some things nice for the Lord. Amen? And I didn't realize I was high church. I thought it was organized. <laughs> Call it what you want. I wanted it to glorify the Lord. And I just thought, well, why, you know, why would he say that? 
But listen, God loves, God loves things done for his glory. So here it is. This ceremony is going on, the new covenant. I want you to imagine all the drama. Imagine how they're dressed. Festive occasion. Imagine all the music, all the singing, all the excitement. Everything's in motion. Let's put ourselves there in that scene. And the priest lifts up the golden vessel of water. And suddenly, on this occasion, when John recorded it, a voice cries out. I want you to listen to the words. Let me go back to the entire Old Testament. There was a Messiah that would come, a Messiah that would come, the water, the bread, the, the, the showbread, the, the seven lamp in the temple. Everything was about Jesus Christ. And here it is. It's ceremonial like it's been for 4,000 plus years. And suddenly on this occasion, a voice loud and clear says something like this. If any man thirsts, let him come to me and let him drink. And if you believe in me, in your innermost being and from your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And we know very little of it. We come to church and come to church and come to church and don't know much about living water anymore. This is Jesus. This is God's Son. He is saying, and here's point two, it's a new covenant message. And I want every young person, mom and dad, grandparent to hear me. He is saying this, there is more to your faith than ritual and doctrine and high church or hip shooting church, if you'll allow my term. I don't like things just thrown out. I think well to do things good for God, don't you? He is saying there's more to your faith than waving palms. There's more to your salvation than song and music. There's more to your faith than two pints of water being poured out. He is saying there is genuine, individual, personal relationship in the Creator from this time on because I am Messiah. I've arrived and it's all going to change when I finish my work. Well, I can see that excited you. Wow. He's saying, come to me. And he said this, come to me. He is saying, I am the only way. I am the only means. I am the only one that can quench your thirst and get you from this sin-cursed planet to an eternity in heaven. If there is a message that this generation needs to hear, it needs to hear this. There is more than religion. There is more than philosophy. There is more than ritual. There is more than form. There is a fountain for the souls of men and women that can thirst, that a thirsty, satisfying soul can know. Personally, without any qualification, without any form, without any status at all, whosoever will, let him come and drink of the fountain. Ladies and gentlemen, when you do, God said you'll never thirst again. What kind of promise is that? And here we are with almost 8 billion people on the planet that most of them are thirsty and hungry and know nothing about the Christ who said come.
Christ's legacy, 2019 generation. We need that same Jesus to do today what he did that day. Follow me. We need Jesus to come and interrupt our schedules. We need Jesus to come and interrupt our routine. We need Jesus to come and stop our busyness. We need Jesus to come and interrupt business as usual. And bring us a refreshing drink from the throne of God. Here was Israel that day going through the motions like they had for thousands of years. Going through the motions. And I think they had good intentions. Be it ritual, perhaps it's obedience, but I think they had good intentions. Here they are. But watch this. All through their form, all through their ritual, all through the whole process, all the time, the Messiah, God's anointed one, the healer, the Savior, the baptizer, the king, the genuine life giver was standing right beside them and they were completely unaware. Thirsty in the midst of ceremony. So consumed by the method, they forgot the master. So involved in ritual, they didn't recognize the redeemer. It reminds me when I was in high school in literature reading something called the rhyme of their ancient mariner. Mariner, excuse me. Water, water, everywhere, finish it but not a drop to drink. That's what many in our society believe today. And ladies and gentlemen, it is my job and your job to deliver the water that can satisfy a thirsty soul. That's the second part of the message, but here's the first part. Before we can deliver it, you and I have to be with him to be much for him. Know him in fullness Know him in his genuine presence. Know him in his power. Be refreshed by the fountain. And then take him to a thirsty generation. I want to tell you what we do. We get so caught up in routine, under demands, under pressures. We have been so desensitized by television and so desensitized by computers. We see blood and guts and killing and things that we've never imagined and we've become so calloused. Dare I say it? We come in the form and we're thirsty. And we never give God the opportunity to let us drink. I want to show you something, nothing short of miraculous. You ready? You want to see a miracle? How many of you want to see a miracle? Just watch. Just watch. I'm going to show you a miracle. Dave, can you help me? You see this? Have we got a camera on it? We're up. 
You saw the back of my head, didn't you? I want to show you something miraculous. See that? How many of you have one of these? Come on, let me see your hand. I mean from young to older. I know this is going to shock you. This is a miracle. Pastor, a miracle. I want you to watch this. Things like that is a reason we're thirsty and we're hungry and we're so full of ourselves and so full of pride. We come to the house of God and go through ceremony with problems unimaginable in this sanctuary. And we come and go through the form and we clap and we say amen, good preaching, pastor, good singing, good worship, and go home with the same problems we came with because we're not drinking. We're too, too full of pride to let God do anything in our lives. By the dozens, I ask people, why don't you come during an altar call? Well, I don't want people to think I'm unsaved. Do you mean to tell me? Do you mean to tell me that you would let what somebody else in this room think beyond your eternity and make a decision? Are we so sin sick with pride we can't realize that every one of us in this room have needs that we need God to handle? It's a thirsty world. It's a thirsty world. I will tell you this about the Lord. He's patient. He's long-suffering. He'll let us run in our schedules and run and chase everything but Him for so long. And can I tell you whom He loves? He chasteneth. I want to tell you something. There's a crossroads coming. Eventually, hear me. God and you need an audience. Can I tell you that because we get in such a place where we're so busy and we don't let God have our time, we're so worried about pretense and whether we have a yacht or a new set of golf clubs, a car or a house or position or power. I'm talking about our world, but I'm talking about us too. We're not following the right values. Here a while back, a man passed away. I had been placed power of attorney in charge of his entire state. Do you know how much that man left? Everything. All of it. All of it. There are so many people that come with needs. And let me just tell you this. They come with needs that only God can answer. I just want to tell you something about the last three months. Just to be very transparent, I've been under a storm and an attack in several ways. And I had to get to the place. I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, we get to the place where we can absolutely do nothing. Nothing. And that makes trusting God one of the most difficult things you'll ever go through. When you are absolutely, totally helpless. But I want to declare to you, the house of God, 
is the right place to deal with your hunger and your thirst and your dead ends. Can you say amen? I wonder if we could in Christianity across all Christianity make a pack in every church and say every one of us that are attending church, I promise before myself and you that if you have a problem and you need to go and pray and you need to seek God, that I will not bother you about your pride. You know why? We're so worried about what somebody's going to think. Why don't we just decide we're not going to think bad about somebody? As a matter of fact, we ought to think something good. There's no telling what the Lord's going to do in that person's life because they came God, gave God time for it. And maybe still with me. One thing and I'll finish. When Christ spoke those words and John recorded it, there were some in that crowd said, oh my goodness, he is a prophet. There were some who said, he is the Christ. And the very spiritual priests, Pharisees themselves that were the religious people went to the pagan Roman soldiers in an accusatory question said to the Roman soldiers, some people think he's the prophet. Some think he's the Christ. Why didn't you arrest him? You know what those so-called pagan Roman soldiers said? I'll tell you what he did. In his words, he rushed forward before we could get the cross and the resurrection, but Christ came to do, be Savior to all men. He's going to call Paul the apostle to go to the Gentile, and we ought to thank God he did. But here's what they said. Sometimes even the lost world can see it better than we can. They said to them, never has a man ever spoken the way he speaks. I want to tell you something. Whatever you're dealing with, nobody can speak like the master who controls the winds and the waves and eternity into your life. Nobody can. I could preach all day. I love Mary when she goes on the first day. Resurrection. We'll be in Easter a few weeks, three weeks. I love what it was. She ran up, saw the master and didn't recognize him. She didn't know who he was. This is my, this is me. But he looked down and he said, Mary. You know why she knew him? Because of the way he called her name. Can I tell you something? That's the way we're going to know him too. By the way we have a relationship with him in every part of our lives. Amen. I've had him speak my name before. But I thought it was over. Years ago when I thought my wife was in critical condition and Satan tried to take her. I know what it is for God to call my name. 